0: The Diary of a CTO podcast, sharing the secrets of successful CTOs, brought to you by Trumor, the home of technology recruitment, hosted
1: by Guy Bevington.
0: Andrew, great to see you. Thanks for joining us, um, Andrew. We we met for a coffee uh, recently and um, had a good old chat, and thought it'd be great to come together and, and do an episode of um, Diary of a CTO because you are, by way of introduction, um, you know, the CTO of PCF Bank currently, um, where you've uh, spent a good sort of twenty years of your career, and. Um, I think you well, I'm sure to say you've been on probably a hell of a journey throughout your time there uh, over the last couple of decades and you've you've seen uh, the business achieve its uh, banking license and then uh, more recently uh, actually wind down its its banking arm so I bet there's a lot to unpack there uh, a lot of interesting stories to tell as a, as a tech leader um, but probably uh, most excitingly you are actually about to embark upon a new adventure uh, shortly and um you'll be joining the police force as uh, the head of applications and devices for Surrey and Sussex so i think it'll be really interesting to hear the differences between the two positions in terms of processes and practices and um you know the difference between the private and the public sector from a tech standpoint so i'm sure we'll delve into that as uh, as the episode progresses but uh, before we uh, we get too far into it let's let's talk about you um and you know, how you got started in technology, I guess, and your your journey uh, through PCF to becoming um, the CTO.
1: Thanks Guy, and thanks for the introduction and thanks for uh, hosting me on this uh, podcast. Um, So I've been with PCF Bank, as you said, for over 20 years now. Uh, We're a small bank lending to small businesses and to consumers and over the last 20 years, I've seen my career move from uh, a credit controller in a very small company. We had about 25 staff through to a small technology team. And then uh, as the technology team has grown, that's where I become uh, the head of IT and then embarked on a, the change management aspect of that. My background is really uh, project management. So I'm a Prince to um registered practitioner and Rivat have led a lot of the projects uh, across the, um, the bank, including the, the acquisition um, of the banking license or the, the attainment of the banking license, I should say. That was a significant program of works involving multiple vendors over a multi-year process and multi-million pound project and we successfully launched as a bank in december 2016 when we gained our banking license and we launched to the public in july of 2017. over the course of the years um, as we became a bank there's a lot of regulations and a lot of a lot of rules we have to adhere to Um, we have a obviously significant customer base and we need to ensure that our systems are secure And uh, they are resilient as well and protected um, from uh, malicious uh, third parties. So we've embarked on a number of transformation projects to ensure we are resilient, are protected, and that we can also move into becoming a digital um, business using data to help drive a lot of our decisions. So it's a quick intro of me.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I say that that journey in itself to, you know, I know it's no mean feat to get a banking license. And um, I dare say that wasn't an easy task, uh, certainly from a a technology perspective. But I guess, do you feel your your background in um, project management uh, sort of helped um, police that excuse the pun, (laughs) police that, um, you know, sort of process and uh, and keep on track?
1: Definitely, it certainly helped in terms of defining a project structure, the project governance associated with the project and whilst PRINCE2 may be seen as a bit onerous, um, it can be used for agile purposes for making quick decisions and uh, minimizing a lot of the templates or paperwork that you need to have so it was essential that the banking project was run using a you know a recognizable methodology and it was ultimately successful um we delivered the project on time and and we delivered you know exactly what we said to the regulator that we would be delivering, i.e., a banking platform for customers and for them to deposit savings with us and for that to complement our lending background, which we've been doing for the last 20 plus years.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yeah. And I
0: love your story. You know, I think it's it's fantastic that you've gone on that journey of like say starting as a credit controller, you know, and and then ending up at the, the pinnacle of the of the tech uh, part of the business as the CTO. Um, was it always a natural choice, a natural sort of progression for you to to go into technology? Because obviously starting as a credit controller, then coming from a project, classic project management background, how did you find that sort of transition into the technology space? And, and was that always a natural decision for you?
1: Yeah, I felt it was probably a natural progression because a lot of the projects that I needed to manage, typically they all have a technology um Aspect to them, uh, either involving technology or they are the the project, i.e., a system upgrade or a system implementation. So, I felt you always needed to have a technical sort of background, so you would throw yourself in to all of the projects, like workshops, so you understood the systems, you understood the infrastructure, how all the bits would join together. And so that naturally um, increases and enhances your technology knowledge. And as you then move to the next project, you take your lessons learn, and apply that to uh, the new project, which again, will probably have a technology aspect. So you felt over time that you were very technology competent which enabled you to then have good oversight of how to run the operation, what good cyber looks like what good resilient systems look like and that sort of led naturally into this uh my head of i.t role before becoming the chief technology officer
0: fair enough fair enough and the um having straddled both sides of the coin and i say become more uh au fait with the world of technology um now as a cto what do you What do you feel from your experience are the kind of most valuable qualities of a a technology leader?
1: I think there's a clear difference between a leader and a manager. And as a technology leader, you need to have a clear vision and a clear strategy that is worked in conjunction with the executive committee or the board. And you are able to you know play out that vision to your team and bring them along on the journey for that what they don't want is somebody micromanaging them or helping oversee or um, do the little detail what what they need is a leader to help point and uh, steer steer the ship so to speak rather than uh, be in the engine room or even um, you know overseeing what's going on in the engine room they initially i used to say you know the the role of the leader is to steer the ship but ultimately a leader probably wouldn't even be on the ship they would be back at base and there would be a pool pool of ships um out and about and your your strategic vision is such that you have people talent qualities resources, etc., cetera, to um, be on those ships and running them successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be able to be accountable for your decisions. You need to be decisive. And it's important to have a collaborative uh, culture, uh, one that's non-blaming, uh, I think is very key um, within the world of IT, and even projects it's very easy and for things to go wrong and it'd be wrong of anyone to say nothing ever goes wrong um, because I'd be lying so it's important that we recognize mistakes but we don't point fingers we work together and if you know what one part of the body fails and the whole body fails uh, so to speak so that's that's a, a cl- clear sort of quality of a tech leader um, they also need to be adaptable um, projects priorities do change very quickly and as we found a PCF bank they can change literally overnight what we're working on so we need to be able to adapt very quickly have the team nimble enough in order to move on to a different project and ensuring that our systems remain resilient. We're not dropping the BAU tasks that we need to maintain. And yeah, that's probably the the main aspects of it. And probably finally, you know, for when things do go wrong, it's those problem solving skills. Um, I'm quite an analytical person and I like to join the dots and see the dots so when systems go down it's can often be difficult to work out where the problem is but once you start getting a picture of the different where the different pieces are you can start working out where the problem is and then use your knowledge to help solve the problem quickly to avoid disruption
0: yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think um, a bit really stood out for me there is when you talk about the, you know, the, the not focusing on a blame culture, and I, I, I definitely agree. That's, uh, uh, you know, we look at a lot of the very good clients that we have, um, that I feel have a really strong culture around that, and you know, I think the, the, the freedom to fail, you know, is a really important thing in in any business, and I think that really extrapolates out, you know beyond technology and, and a death death say within recruitment as well you know the first year of doing the job really is pretty much failure on a consistent basis but it's kind of how you how you reframe that failure to not necessarily you know focus on the finger pointing like saying and, and, and yeah. blame card but actually it's about what can we take from that what can we learn from that and and you know kind of move forward there's one client we used to work with actually who had on a, a Monday morning, um, they <laughs> always came in and they had what was called the Church of Fail, uh, where every every Monday morning, uh, everyone in the team had to stand up and basically say something they did wrong the week before. And um, then everybody likes... Is- started clapping but they could only sit down when everybody had finished clapping (laughs) so depending how bad it was like people would clap for ages to kind of keep them up there to kind of so there's a little bit of blame in there but it was all in good fun and all in good spirits but you know i think that's a really i I actually took that on board as a a great way of sort of framing uh failure in terms of how you build a really strong culture a collaborative culture where people just you know will try their best but aren't afraid to take action and i think that's um that's a really important thing um like you said unfortunately things will always go wrong and so let's sort of talk a bit about that and and i guess some of the challenges you you've experienced throughout your time at, at pcs at pcf as a cto um so yeah what would you say have been your biggest challenges um as a tech tech leader, manager, CTO, um, and, and how did you overcome those?
1: Yeah, so some of the biggest challenges we've had have been regulatory changes uh, and having to implement new frameworks uh, in quite quick order. So an example is the operational resilience framework was a PRA and FCA um, consultation paper that came into effect on the 1st of April last year and with that organizations had to have defined their important business services not systems uh, their actual services in terms of what they offered and then have to map those down in terms of resources people technology third parties etc so as a complete mapping exercise then agree with the business at what point of downtime would this cause a maximum tolerable, you know, sort of uh, disruption. And we would talk to the business and they might say one hour um, to which you would go for an exercise to say, well, actually, if our systems were down for an hour, it wouldn't cause regulatory, you know, uh, damage or reputational damage or, um profit loss implications, and we'd work with the business and stakeholders to agree suitable maximum tolerable disruptions. Mm-hmm. And so, in relatively quick order, we had had our important business services named, mapped, the tolerances set. We then had to go about testing those and building up scenarios of when they could go down and what, how long it would take us to recover that service. So that's been one of the challenges um, in more recent times. Um, The other challenge is as a bank, there's a lot of auditing. So we're subject to a number of internal audits and external audits to make sure our systems are secure resilient etc and we also have to undergo cyber essentials penetration tests as part of pci dss and also swift attestation and testing as part of that so you have to always be in a position of you know happy to have in you know your homework marked by others rather than by yourself so you have to be open and if an audit comes back and says it's great but here's some you know recommendations we will work with the auditors to implement those recommendations um, quickly rather than feeling a bit aggrieved having to work with third parties telling telling you that your systems aren't perhaps as you know secure or resilient as they should be mm. um some of the other challenges in more recent times it's been you yeah, with pcf bank we've had our shares suspended on the aim market we've had to uh, make some tough decisions uh, we've had to de-scope projects um and Within all of that, we've had to ensure that our teams are supported, that we maintain morale, and we're able to maintain the key players within the business as well. So part of that is having open communication. And with that, we will have every two weeks we have a what we call a business bites or a town hall meeting where everyone in the company gets together. Either over Teams or within the office, and we would talk through the ups and downs of the past couple of weeks. What are the challenges? What are the updates going on? So that we can try and be as transparent as possible, you know, with the team, so that so that they know what's going on, and to try and reassure our colleagues, you know, um, about where we're at at the moment as well. So that's so that's been some of the the biggest challenges over the last. Probably last year, um, as I said, with the AIM suspension, withdrawing from the lending market, and ultimately deciding to um, withdraw from the UK banking market as well, mm. as all bit happened in the last sort of twelve to eighteen months, which of course brings uncertainty and with that pressure and so we, we have to do our best as leaders to, um, you know, support staff, encourage staff and keep going really as well. Yeah, you know, we still have activities, BAU activities we need to perform and we still have projects that we need to complete as well. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's that been some of the key challenges and uh, over the last sort of 12 to 18 months.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I can imagine, and um, I think you know the the hallmark of a, of a of a great CTO is is sort of having that people and and you know soft side as well as the you know the, the sort of technology strategy piece. And and I guess at a time like this of of uncertainty for others in the business, it becomes even more important to become a good manager of of people, does not it? As well, and sort of be able to yeah, really um, listen and understand and and sort of you know guide and, and coach those people. So. Uh, yeah i can understand that's uh a very interest a very um important part of it and uh it's interesting when you were speaking there actually i was thinking about the um talk about working in a regulated environment i guess you know i probably talk about this now but the the role you're about to move on to you know on the surface level you know pcf bank and then joining the the, the police force a lot of differences clearly between those two industries and um yeah hopefully a really exciting sort of next step for you to to, to move into, but I guess in many ways, also a few similarities into sort of working in a very regulated environment to the degree of, you know, standards that you've got to adhere to and make sure that, you know, you're sort of complying with and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, talk us through your thought process to, to go from, you know, 20 years in the, in the commercial, you know, sort of FS and banking space to taking on, biting on a, a whole new challenge in, uh, in joining, um, joining the, the police force to, to focus on their tech side.
1: Yeah, of course. So after 20 years uh, within financial services and the, the banking industry and with the uncertainty at the moment with PCF Bank, and also there's a lot of companies, other banks going through similar um, stresses as well at the moment, it, there comes an opportunity where you you start to think, um I could move to another bank and do similar things, or I could look elsewhere in different sectors as well. And part, part of my thinking was, if I was to drop dead tomorrow, and apologies for being morbid, but what would my legacy be? And I could say, yes, I've been successful as a CTO, and we've attained a banking license, et cetera. And we've helped hundreds of thousands of customers as well. And that's great, but there feels a need to think that what more could I have done? And so you start looking at other sectors and initially I started looking in the charity sector to try and sort of give back to the, you know, more, more, more visibly to the community And then this uh, police role opened up um, within Sussex police, which is local to me. Um, So it's about a 20 minute commute by train rather than an hour and 40 minute commute into London. So I started exploring that and had a interview with themselves and The organisation, very, very different. They have over 10,000 officers and staff working for Surrey and Sussex Police, supporting over, I think it was over 3 million citizens across uh, the counties as well. So having the ability to help define and support the applications that officers are using on the front line, Became very appealing and having the ability to influence and look after the devices they use as well from like body worn video to fingerprint scanners to mobile phones and the applications they use on there. There there comes a lot of interest, a very different sector, very um, very regimented on one side of the organization where you have the police officers and you have the police staff supporting those officers sort of behind the scenes working. But ultimately, without the staff members, the officers would be very hindered um, in, in their frontline duties. Mm. So the opportunity arose and it was obviously great to be accepted into the role. And I've had an open day there this week where I had a meet and greet the team. And it's a very, very professional organization. A lot to take in. There's um, good structure, but there's also areas for improvement as well. And that's where I think my abilities and leadership will help um, with that to help put together a roadmap and a strategy for the future. And ultimately you'd then say, you know, in the future, what would my legacy be? And I could say, well, if I've helped frontline officers even by a few minutes per day, by having a slightly different way of doing something on one of their devices, and that frees up time to help the community then that's a great way of serving the community and serving my local community giving back to the community and ultimately something yeah i can be proud of and my children can be proud of as yeah we're working for the police force absolutely oh, yeah and i really
0: i really respect that and i think it's a really um important thing because you know, very often, um, I think we've probably seen this a little bit more since COVID, actually. Um, when I think about my sort of 15 years of, of recruiting for, for technology professionals, um, very often when we're speaking to people now, you know, the words that are getting used are, you know, purpose, mission, uh, you know, legacy, like you say, and actually a, a range of seniority as well. You know, one of the key things that I think a lot of technology professionals really want to see in the world that are living now is, is what the impact of their work you know um, yeah. certainly certainly within the data science field you know we're seeing a really big push now from great candidates wanting to work in in the tech for good space uh you know in kind of B corp kind of companies where you know the the types of problems they're solving are having real social impact and um, you know they can go to bed every day knowing actually whatever they've done is had a you know, it's a big a step in the right direction and um you know and, and rather sort of cheesily but but is genuinely very true when i i found it true north you know i was really quite disenfranchised with the recruitment industry in general because um yeah you know, having worked for 10 years in another environment where it's purely focused around money and numbers on a board and and not really about the people you were serving um you know or, or actually just general levels of you know job fulfillment or or happiness, you know, both internally within the business and, and, you know, externally, one of the things I really wanted the true north business stand for was about actually helping people be happy at work. Cause I knew that it's one of the biggest, it can be one of your biggest sources of happiness or your your biggest sources of misery, what you do for, you know, sort of 12 hours a day. So, um, you know, if we could generally take somebody from place a to place B and place B is going to be a place where they're going to be happier and have more smiles on their face every day, then I think that's, um, you know, a really worthwhile. Uh, thing that we can be doing um so, so yeah i really buy into that and i think that's a really uh really really great point and um and also I can imagine in that environment as well, like literally the work you're doing will have a direct impact. You know, obviously the, the, the world we live in now is a very digital world and, and you know, clearly the, the systems within the police force, I'm sure, will rely very heavily on the applications and devices that you're going to be looking after. Um, what, what are you sort of most excited about from a, a technology point of view in terms of, you know, some of, the, some of the challenges and some of the areas that you feel you can add add a lot of value in your role?
1: Yeah, so a lot of the interest I have is in sort of data-driven decision-making. So here at PCF Bank, I built a data science team headed up by a great head of data. And the whole intention was to take our data we have and try and make informed decisions using that data and using machine learning to help forecast and predict Um, when a loan might end for example and also just give us a lot more insight into our data in terms of how much cash has been paid versus how much cash was due and a lot more insight than what we perhaps currently had uh, within the data so a huge sort of data-driven focus with machine learning sort of tapping into that data and using sort of uh, robotic process automation to help eliminate some of the steps in uh, things like creating a settlement figure such that a customer could go online request a quote and the quote is there immediately online and post it out to them rather than you know having a uh, a colleague sat in the background uh, performing that task there'd be a lot of cloud um, first decisioning and but when people say cloud first it doesn't necessarily mean that people do opt for the cloud it's not it necessarily the right decision for all companies and for what they're after There may be cases and business cases for actually keeping it on premise, particularly around cloud costs, which can be an unknown. And they they can be hard to um, estimate and hard to control. And before you know it, you're running a a beast of a machine and you're getting invoices for tens of thousands each month coming through. So you you do have to be careful with that approach. The, the other exciting thing around technology uh, is the use of chat for example and how open ai will help businesses and even preparing for this podcast i use chat gbt to help generate some of my notes such that the questions that we had sort of discussed i said to chat that i was going to be recording a podcast this afternoon here's my cv here's my covering letter and here's the questions that are going to be asked can you please generate the answers to uh, those questions and it you know, outputted a whole uh, load of text to which i then said well that's too short it was and i said it's going to be a 30 minute long podcast um so it went into more depth. I then said to it, I needed it as bullet points and it would then provide it as bullet points. So the information I have in front of me is just, um, yeah, it would have taken previously me time to do that, to take my CV, to take my other documentation, review the questions and have a think about, yeah, what what would be the best answer Instead, using technology and open AI to generate suggestive answers that I could use doesn't necessarily mean it's all right and it's all um, valid and will all be used, but it gives a lot of pointers and it helps, you know, to drive that process. Mm. I think it could be useful in the recruitment um, line of work. Um, I'm sure recruiters and agencies could use it to say well here's the job description here's cv of candidate a b c d and load them all in and for it to then determine who is who is the best fit candidate for that role and it will use keywords for example to try and match it but it will also try and perhaps intelligently match it and you'd say to it well actually i don't want somebody that matches everything because we probably can't afford that person and so you you teach it to say i'm looking for somebody that i can grow and um, mature within the team and they may not be the polished product yet but they're somebody we can nurture um, over the, the next couple of years, and f- for that to assist in that process as well. So we're, we're really at the you know, the cusp of the capability of what OpenAI can do. We just need to be careful that we don't take it as the definitive answer. In the same way as when you might search for something in Google or other search engine, you don't you will review the search results and you make an informed opinion as to, okay, I'm going to go to this one that's third on the list. And then rather than going to page 12 on the list and finding some obscure answers. Mm -hmm. So you you still need to exercise your own judgment um, when reviewing the answers um, before just taking them as gospel. Yeah. Um, Yep.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I think you know, some some really really great points there, and I don't think it would be a, a podcast at the moment if we didn't mention ChatGPT in some way, <laughs> some way, shape, and yeah. form. Um, but no, I I can fully attest to uh, you know from from the applications that we've used, the use cases we've had within recruitment, it has offered a lot of value, definitely. Um, and I and I think you have got the nail totally on the head that it's, but it's not a definitive answer. You know, it's I think technology essentially you know as as technology's been evolving the whole purpose is to get information to people quicker and to to help people you know essentially get to the end result quicker and i think that's really what chat gpt is is doing in a very sort of you know impressive way um but i totally agree with you you know it should never be taken um as the as the gospel because you know and it it's one of the things i'm quite reassured by in recruitment actually that you know you're your point there about um you know inputting a job spec looking at a cv ask chat gpt which is going to be the best fit you know it will approach that in a very methodical consistent manner and i'm sure actually output some really interesting um insights between the two um but i think people have been trying to write software to replace recruiters for, for years and um well i'm sure people have been, trying to write software to replace a lot of people for years, but certainly within recruitment. But the thing I'm quite always reassured by is that because it's a people industry, yes, it will give you some really good insights, but until you've actually met that person and you've kind of had the conversation with them and looked at the whites of their eyes, it's, um, you know, you can't really assess the suitability of a candidate for a role because a lot of it is around culture fit as well and personality fit and that kind of thing. So like you say, I think it's a really great tool for giving a certain indicator that you know have certain uh, triggers that you might be moving in in the right way but i think like lots of other industries there will always be that need for that last piece of kind of human interaction and assessment um because that's the one bit that i still think we're we're very very far away and that is you know ai's well call it ai whatever you want to call it you know, a model's ability to assess the the, the finer areas of culture and you know, Personality and that kind of thing um but yeah it's it's you know unbelievably interesting isn't it and uh, yeah I'm sure lots of lots more exciting things to come on that front um but uh but no andrew I really enjoyed the chat i think it's been a fantastic episode and um you know really uh appreciate your perspective uh you know from having gone through your journey at p c f and and you know I'm really excited to see how you're uh, your new adventure at, um, at Surrey and Sussex police uh, will, will pan out. So definitely keep us in the loop and maybe come back in a, in a few months time and, and do another episode and let us know how it's, uh, how it's all been going in, in the first few months. Um, but I like to end each episode with uh, the, 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 the same question, um, which is, you know, what's the, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? You know, if you, there's a bit, one bit of advice that stuck with you that you'd want to pass on to uh your fellow uh, humankind. Um, what would that be for you?
1: I think for me personally, is understanding and recognizing how hybrid working has affected you know the world really over the since COVID, and it will lead and has led to a lot of burnout of employees and. Oh. The reason for that is through the work-life balance has become very blurred, and people will work longer hours when they're at home uh, because they don't have commutes, and or they will try and squeeze too much into those hours. Um, and people will work different hours, so it wouldn't be unusual to get an email from somebody at seven, eight o'clock at night, and feel the need to respond to that. and with such a connected world now, you have your email on your phone, on your iPad, um, you know, they might ping through on your Apple Watch. It's very hard to escape work. So my probably my advice to people and the advice that was given to me is to do ensure you still have those work boundaries wherever you're working, whether that's at home or in the office such that you know half five six o'clock you do turn off your laptop and you're you recognize that was my work time this is now my private time my personal time I'm going to sit down and have dinner with my wife and children I'm not going to be checking emails on my phone I'm not going to be responding to anything that might come through and and to have things like self-care is not something uh, a lot of people may be aware of or heard of but self-care is basically looking after yourself and doing activities that bring you positive sort of um, emotions and feelings it could be for me just simply walking the dog and or going for breakfast with a friend and it's those moments that essentially are charging you back up again so that you are ready for work. And so you need to make sure that you don't have blurred boundaries between work and your personal home life because if it does become a very blurred and before you know it, work will be your life at the expense of your health your mental health your physical health and the detriment to those around you as well so it's yeah it's something, something I'm quite passionate about is yeah mental health and uh, and making sure that you know colleagues are supported as well and we don't add pressure onto colleagues to you know perform out of hours weekends etc obviously within it there's always you know, things we need to be doing, patching servers out of hours. But we recognize that and we know that. And there's no reason why that colleague couldn't then have, you know, a few hours off the next week or something like that to recoup and understand that is their recharging time, essentially. So that would be my advice to others
0: yeah I think that's a fantastic bit of advice to to close on um you know it definitely resonates with me you know for for multiple reasons you know one like i said the whole premise of we want to work with businesses that have an appreciation of people you know and and you know realize that their people are their greatest asset and you know they have those kind of cultures where people do feel valued and and you know not overstressed and overworked and that kind of thing but but yeah the whole premise of self care is definitely something that really resonates with me you know i guess as a as a business owner, you know, and working from home quite a lot and actually when I started the business, that was one of the main reasons I started my business was to work from home. It was sort of six months before the pandemic happened and obviously the pandemic happened and everyone started working from home. But I definitely um, resonate with what you're saying around the, you know, the blurred boundaries and and carving that time out for yourself because as an entrepreneur, there's always more you can be doing, right? And when it's your kind of name above the door and you want to see the business be successful, you know, there's always, uh, you know, always fire up the laptop in the evening and do, do a few more emails, et cetera. Um, but I've recognised that there's definitely core activities that, you know, you can feel guilty about doing at some time, but actually, you know, put you in a better mental state and like you say, are going to preserve you longer term to, to be in the right place, like going to the gym or going to the driving range or whatever it may be, just sort of clearing your head for an hour, getting a little bit of physical exercise. Um, Yeah, I think it's something that... Like I say, really shouldn't be underestimated, um, and and um, hopefully after the back of the pandemic, you know, one of the, the positive things that we do all get now is is a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more, you know, um, balance in our life. So let's sort of use it in a positive way rather than, like I say, sitting in sitting in home on the laptop fourteen hours a day. You know, let's build some time into look after ourselves in the first instance. So uh, yeah, I think a very very interesting point to end on. So um, super well. Thank you again for coming on. All that remains to be seen is is to wish you the the, the best of luck with your new role. Uh, definitely keep in touch. We'd love to have you back on in future uh, as as a guest again to come on and uh, and uh, tell us the stories that you're able to tell us. Um, you know, yeah, confidentially. And um, and yeah, you know, all the best with it, and uh, look forward to, to keeping in touch.
1: Yeah. Many thanks, Guy. Thank all you.
0: Right. Cheers, Andrew. Bye.